Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. This month, Barbie turns 60. You might be wondering why on earth The Guardian's digital culture podcast is doing an episode on a fashion doll. Let me explain. You see, Barbie isn't just a doll. She's a source of inspiration for children all over the world. And her manufacturer, Mattel, saw the need to introduce her to the digital world. Someday I'm gonna be exactly like you. She means so many things to different people. She's got a tremendous awareness rating around the world. You know, almost 100% of little girls around the world can identify or recognize Barbie no matter what language they speak. So my work with them really became about trying to understand how to better represent and articulate the offerings of Barbie to a new audience of parents. Come along with me, now I'm in your PC. With fashion designer, make clothes that look good on me. What do you want to make? Party dress. Some have credited Barbie with starting the so-called girls' games movement in the 1990s. By sheer volume, if you look at the games that came out that were marketed to girls, a little bit in the 80s, but mostly in the 90s, Barbie was all over it. Our multiplayer games went crazy because we saw it as not competitive so much as being a new way of gathering girls in one place so that they could play together, both digitally and also with their real dolls and real physical product. Barbie wasn't just the star of her own video games and movies. In the noughties, Mattel was encouraged to design more diverse Barbie dolls, both in the way they looked and the careers they chose. And so in 2016, we welcomed game developer Barbie, a doll that could, like so many before her, inspire a younger generation, showing them that game development was a viable career for women. You know, we live in a world that's incredibly multiracial and multicultural, and it's important that little girls and little boys see themselves represented in what they play with. So I think the brand recognized they had an opportunity, they had a responsibility, and they had a, and they had a moment of which to become more relevant and, and innovate creatively inside. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week, to celebrate 60 years of Barbie, we look back at some key moments in the history of this world-famous doll that turned Barbie into a representative of the tech world. This is Chips With Everything. Did 
Did you play with these kinds of games when you were growing up? So like Barbie and Hello Kitty games? I didn't actually. I growing up didn't have access to contemporary computers for quite a while. And also Rachel Simone Weil is the founder and curator of the digital museum Femicom, an archive which explores the femininity, girlhood, and aesthetics of cute within artifacts like 20th century video games. Sometimes I refer to the games as girly games versus girls games. And part of that is really to start a conversation about what does it mean to be a girls game or a girly game. I kind of started with looking at the stereotypical femininity. So games that are pink, games that are about fashion or romance, uh, games that are based on traditionally girl-oriented franchises like, like Barbie and Hello Kitty and things like that. An essay introducing Femicom on the website itself mentions special pockets of feminine tech, like Tamagotchis, Hello Kitty Game Boys, Web Sozai, Web Rings, Software Skins, and Electronic Paper Dolls. The Barbie collection alone contains more than 40 games. So I started the project around uh, 2012, and at the time I was collecting video games, and it was really frustrating to me when I would go try to learn about video game history or, or see other people's collections, that there wasn't a lot of information out there about video games for girls, things like Barbie games and Hello Kitty games. Um, and as I dug in deeper, I found a lot of really interesting reasons why that information wasn't readily available. People weren't collecting those kinds of games. People thought they weren't historically significant. And I thought, wow, there's like a really big uh, gap here. And there's a, a really interesting opportunity to recover a history that without intervention might get lost. Rachel didn't own her own video games when she was younger, but she did play with Barbies. I had both. I remember a particular primary school friend who would invite me round to play adventure games on the PC, followed by Barbies in the sitting room. But I had a complicated relationship with the kind of particularly pink femininity that Barbie represents. Throughout her research for Femicom, Rachel found that this was common among many young girls growing up in the 80s and 90s. And I think there is definitely some contemporary interest in reclaiming traditional stereotypical femininity, maybe not to sort of reinscribe the stereotypes, but to kind of troll through it and see what is recoverable out of this and what are, what are some of the things that we might have rejected in the past that are actually really interesting. Um, I think there's a sort of interesting feminist uh, reclamation of that aesthetic that I find really interesting. That is really interesting. How much do you think that has to do with the fact that these things are being brought into the digital, right? So computer games, obviously something that stereotypically perceived to be for boys, although we know that's not true, but making something that is perceived as for boys about something that is perceived as for girls. Do you think that helps in that reclamation of the feminine? Oh, yes. In my kind of practice as an artist, I... Uh, kind of make games in the style of old games. So I make old NES games, old 8-bit games, kind of using the traditional methods, right? Like writing an assembly language and making cartridges. And um, I always use very girly aesthetics in, in making those games. And so for me, it was really interesting to kind of reimagine kind of an alternate history in which instead of you know, NES games or old Atari games being more marketed to boys, they had a slightly more feminine tilt. Um, I think it's a really interesting 
juxtaposition and a way to sort of talk about, hey, you know, things could have been different. Like, the, hmm. <laughs> um, I think with the, there's a lot of interest in sort of nostalgia and 8-bit graphics and bringing back some of these things from, you know, our childhood past. And to me, if we just bring them back, is not as interesting as if we bring them back and think about how they could have been different or imagine different histories because I think when we imagine different histories, we can imagine different futures. And that to me is really exciting. One of the most interesting things that Rachel has found when talking to people for Femicom is that those who worked on the kinds of games the museum features, these girly games, have had to reevaluate how they perceive gender stereotypes. Not only actually with the viewers of the collection, but the people that I've interviewed who worked on these games. It's amazing how many people I talked to who worked on let's say a game uh, in the Bratz line or something, who were really, I don't know if I would say embarrassed, they weren't embarrassed about their work, but they never talked about it. They didn't list it on their resumes. They didn't think anyone cared about it. And it's been really interesting to see how all of these interactions that everyday people have with the stereotypes that we sort of socially create and then force on ourselves. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. I write about video games a lot and yeah, designers tend to kind of tell you about games they've made and the ones that are girly or perceived as childlike, they give caveats alongside like, oh, that was early <laughs> in my career or yeah. Yeah, actually. And there's there's another interesting, you bring up another interesting point too, is like, um, I see those caveats on the parts of designers as well as in game reviews. So if you go on IGN and look up any Disney princess you know, Game Boy Advance game, look up a Bratz game, and the review is mostly about the reviewer reconciling himself with the fact that he's been assigned to review a girl's game. (laughs) Um, And and much of, very little of the article is devoted to the game itself. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, not everyone is ashamed to write about or design games for girls. But this feeling was more common back in the 80s and 90s when developers just didn't think this kind of entertainment was meant for girls and women. So I have the dog out of my office and he's very upset about it. There were exceptions and Jessica Durchin Schnepp is one of those. And I'm a media producer and a storyteller across multi-platforms. Did you play with Barbies growing up? I was an obsessive Barbie girl. (laughs) From the time I was three until I was maybe 16, 17, And the joke in my family was when I started working at Mattel was, of course, I'd be working for Barbie one day. One of Jessica's most notable pieces of work is from her time at Mattel, when she produced Barbie Fashion Designer, one of the first CD-ROM video games that was made especially for young girls. Mattel's move to making Barbie video games was a shock to many people, including Jessica. I had no idea that Mattel was even interested in making Barbie games or that Barbie games would exist. So when I had my first interview, which you can imagine I was bedazzled sitting in the (laughs) castle of Barbie at Mattel, I could barely talk. I was so excited. And when they said, we want to make Barbie games in a completely new way, it it was beyond anything that I had ever dreamt of. As exciting as it was for Jessica and the others working at Mattel, Not everyone believed that there was even a market for Barbie video games. So let's talk about sort of how many girls were also playing with these games. So Commodore 64, it was still considered a boy's toy. And even though the Barbie game may have come out and there may have been a licensed product, 
it was completely overlooked. One, because how do you actually get people to buy it? Where do you put it in the store? Where do you, you know, how, where does it exist? If it's existing in a technology and gaming area, well, at the time, there was no pink. There was no anything outside of really specifically boys games. But even boys games in 84 and sort of the growing appeal, there were more educational games, just isn't, it isn't nearly what the market is now. In fact, I would say the word video game is almost a misnomer. They're just so different. Despite the pushback, Mattel followed through with its plan to develop more video games and electronic toys with Barbie. After the break, we'll find out just how fashion designer Barbie came to be and why it became such a success, both commercially and on a more societal level. And we'll hear from a woman who has consulted on the design of dozens of more diverse Barbies, including one of my personal favorites, game developer Barbie. She's multiple races, she's different, you know, body types, and but um, she actually carries a laptop that has accurate code, so there's no sort of just, you know, pink and frilly code, it's, it's real code, and I think she might have chucks on, or she's got, you know, she just feels very representative of a smart, capable woman working in the tech space. We'll be right back after this. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Voice Lab from The Guardian. Hey, do you ever want a quick catch up on the news headlines first thing in the morning while you're making breakfast or getting dressed? Well, if you have a Google Assistant or Google Home, we can help with that. The Guardian Briefing is an experiment from The Voice Lab, which in under two minutes brings you up to speed with what you need to know about the day's top stories. We'll make sure you don't miss a thing. To listen at any time, just say, Hey Google, speak to The Guardian Briefing. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, we're looking at the progression of Barbie through the digital age. And she had come to her dad creating a dress out of a Barbie dress made with paper, computer paper, and staples. And said, Daddy, can you make this on the computer so I can have a new dress for my doll? And after thinking Jessica Durchin Schnepp was tasked with producing one of the first video games about Barbie on CD-ROM. Barbie fashion designer was inspired by the seven-year-old daughter of former Mattel employee Andy Rifkin, who wanted to be able to make her own clothes for her Barbie. So that's not a game in any traditional sense. There were no points. You couldn't win. 
it was a create a creativity tool, but most important to the process, Andy told us he wanted for girls to feel exactly the same way as when they were sitting down on their kitchen floors playing with Barbie in physical form. He wanted them to have the same joy and creativity and flexibility when they were doing this doing this type of play digitally. How successful was Barbie Fashion Designer in the end? Barbie Fashion Designer went on to be a complete failure when it came out. Again, where do you put a Barbie Fashion Designer? Do you put it in the toy aisle? Do you put it in the software aisle? Is it bundled with the computer? There were some conversations about that. The significant thing was that it was not selling. Uh, in fact, I think the first week it was tracked at maybe selling 20 or 30 copies. And I think 11 of those were purchased by my mother. <laughs> so there was a meeting with the CEO of Mattel, who was Jill Berard at the time. And she said, we are going to make this the first major CD-ROM that's going to be TV advertised. And we're going to TV advertise it in a way that we understand as toy makers. That's when things got crazy. In fact, I'm actually holding a plaque that says, congratulations, this is in, 19, in 1996 in November, it was rated the number one software title in the world. And this was by PC Data. That's incredible. So eventually consumers fell in love with Barbie fashion designer, but it wasn't just successful because kids wanted to play it. Toy makers were amazed by the technology that Jessica and others on the team developed to make their vision for the game work. Girls would create in 3D on their computers their favorite outfits. Then Barbie would walk down the runway. Then the player or the, the creator could hit print and it would print out on fabric through a home printer. We had no idea how to actually get materials through a printer. And I ended up collecting probably eight to 10 different consumer printers in my cubicle at Mattel and just kept running various pieces of material, of fabric through those printers and would pretty much burn them. In fact, I would joke that there was like this haze of smoke above my cubicle, probably toxic, who knows? So one night I had a dream that my bed was on fire and I woke up from the dream stressed, but I also remembered that often kids' uh, pajamas and bedding is coated with a fire retardant material. And I took my pillow to work the next day and I stuck it up with a bunch of stickers and I put it through the printer and it worked. It was quite an endeavor, but we did it and Barbie Fashion Fabric came out with the CD-ROM. The success of Barbie Fashion Designer was all the proof needed for Mattel to invest more in digital Barbie toys. So after the success of Barbie Fashion Designer, suddenly there was an entirely new playing field that they understood was important and Barbie software for girls became its own unique category. Our multiplayer games went crazy because we saw it as not competitive so much as being a new way of gathering girls in one place so that they could play together both digitally and also with their real dolls and real physical product. Barbie has obviously been around for a really long time now, mostly as a physical doll. So why do you think it was important to bring her into the digital realm? Mattel and Barbie want to be where kids are. And I specifically leave it at kids rather than just girls and moms because Barbie is now speaking to the family as a whole. And I think one of the tremendously exciting parts of Barbie Fashion Designer was watching how dads were purchasing the software and then playing with the game with their daughters. 
In fact, one dad sent me a photograph, I'll never forget, of a bench he made for his daughters who were about three years apart. And the two of them would play the game together. So he made it so that they could sit together and then have easy access to the mouse. And then there was storage space. And he wrote for all the video games to come. That's adorable. Sorry, I'm just like choking up a little bit over here. And I, I had a wall of kids of photographs in my in my cubicle, always to remind me that these were for children who were growing up in a digital age. And with the digital age came the need for Barbie to learn some digital skills. Well before I ever worked with the brand officially um, on Barbie, I had heard about the love-hate relationship that consumers have with Barbie. She's a really cool Jess Wiener is a culture expert and CEO of Talk to Jess, a consulting firm that works with brands like Mattel to help better represent people in society. In 2015, Jess was involved in setting up the Barbie Global Advisory Council, which invites 12 different consultants every year to advise on the development of the latest Barbies. The council was particularly interested in tackling the real-life issue of women being underrepresented in STEM fields by creating dolls that had these kinds of jobs. In the STEM world, we uh, did a Shiro doll on Katherine Johnson, who is one of the um, key central leaders in the Hidden Figures movie, right, Katherine Johnson. But her doll for me is actually, I'm looking at it right now as I'm talking to you, she, it sits on my desk. So powerful and so exciting because really at a time as an African-American scientist, like breaking boundaries in a way that she did not have the democracy to tell her story or to have her story told um, as broadly until Hidden Figures, the film came out. And, you know, then Barbie did this doll. And what's so amazing is that even though she's generations apart from young girls today, they see her, they're inspired to go and read her story and to read books about her. And it just, it continues to connect the dots um, in the role model space. So, you know, besides um, game developer, there's computer engineers, there's scientists. Um, I think they're looking at STEM pretty broadly between all of the science, technology, engineering, and math, like, and looking at new ways. I mean, even farmers, and there, there will be, I think, a farmer Barbie at some point that is looking at how do you use technology to grow crops? I mean, we want to kind of broaden the way that girls think about STEM, not just only as um, an, an actual career path, but as a tool that clearly we're all using in our world right now and how to get girls more interested in, in looking at that and, and engaging with that. In 2016, the career of the year doll was game developer Barbie which Mattel created with the hope of showing kids who played with her that game development is for everyone. The big thing that happened in 2016 was that, you know, we diversified Barbie's body types and skin colors and hair textures and eye shapes. And so my understanding is that game developer Barbie, depending on where or how you get her, um, could look very different. She's multiple races. She's different, you know, body types. And But um, she actually carries a laptop that has accurate code. So there's no sort of just, you know, pink and frilly code. It's it's real code. And, you know, and she's dressed in the way game developers would be dressed. So she's clearly for this job, not in heels and not in a skirt. She's in, you know, pants. And I think she might have chucks on or she's got, you know, she just feels very representative of a capable woman working in the tech space and how they might embody uh, game developer. Barbie has actually been portrayed as a game designer before in a book called Barbie, I Can Be a Computer Engineer, but it wasn't quite as positive a representation as game developer Barbie. The premise of the plot was great, but the follow-through left something to be desired. In the book, Barbie tells her sister, I'm designing a game that shows kids how computers work, 
You can make a robot puppy do cute tricks by matching up coloured blocks. The problems start when her sister asks when she can play it, to which Barbie explains with a laugh, I'm only creating the design ideas. I'll need Stephen and Brian's help to turn it into a real game. Turning to the boys for help? You can see why people were annoyed. Mattel needed to reconsider the kinds of messages they wanted to convey. Yeah, well, one of the one of the joys of consulting and working with a brand like Barbie is, of course, you inherit a legacy of things that you know have happened over. She's a sixty year old brand, right? So it was a really um, unfortunate and antiquated view of 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 Barbie or girls, period, in tech and. The brand would never deny that. I think we're all pretty aware that it was it was not an accurate representation in um, in our current world about what we want to be sending to girls and to boys, by the way. So, you know, look, there's lots of missteps in all the brands that I work with. And I think when you have a, a legacy brand like this, you are constantly needing to innovate. And one of the biggest things that the world's been innovating against is the representation of women and girls. And Barbie is completely um, in that category. And so I think... The, the doll wasn't necessarily a response, but it was an evolution. It was to say, okay, you know, we want to get back into this conversation and we want to do it right and better than before. And that's just, that is a reality, I think, of, of, of a brand that has been in the zeitgeist for so long. They can't get it right all the time. And hopefully they just keep getting it better. And that's what I'm there to work on with them. Game developer Barbie can make her own games. She can also be an audio engineer, a technical artist, use JavaScript and be a back-end developer because she's equipped with all the tools to do so. Much has been made of the revolution in Barbie's looks. But as Jess explains, being inclusive means a lot more than just making Barbie look like all of us. Her career choices are also incredibly important. For many girls, they don't see what she looks like first. You know, they, they love they love her as a little doll. They can hold her, they can dress her. Those are natural play patterns for girls but I and for boys. But I think that what's so interesting is that she was starting to represent something that maybe the brand wanted to challenge and to innovate. And so, um, you know, when we looked at how do we evolve this for parents, we had to get back more into... How does she unlock imagination for girls? So Barbie in some ways becomes this really interesting blank slate, but we can't ignore the fact that, you know, we live in a world that's incredibly multiracial and multicultural, and it's important that little girls and little boys see themselves represented in what they play with. So all of those pieces together, I think, is what had been, you know, the brand had been working on. And, you know, we all knew that we had to make that change in order to, to capture the imagination and the hearts of this generation of, of girls and parents. And, you know, and I think they're doing a great job at that. So far, Barbie has proved herself influential for the girls' games movement and in encouraging young girls to pursue careers that were once deemed for boys. It'll be interesting to see what else she can do in the tech world in the next 60 years. That's all for this week. Huge thanks to Rachel Simone Weil, Jessica Durchin Schnepp, and Jess Wiener for joining me. There will be links to Femicom as well as Jess and Jessica's websites on the episode description on the Guardian website. Listeners, if any of you remember playing Barbie video games, I want to hear from you. What were your favourites? Tell me about them at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. 
Chips is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Until next week, goodbye. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code super 24.